I mean, I immediately just wanted to drop using all of the tools that I was using and start writing everything within React Native. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of React Native Radio. Today on the show, we have Jed Watson. Hey, everyone. Lee Johnson. How's it going? Peter Pykarczyk. Hey, everyone. I'm Nader Dabbitt. And our guest today is Brent Vatney. Brent, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. So I'm Brent Vatney. I uh, work at Exponent. I also work on React Native, uh, just open source. I don't work at Facebook. Yeah, that's pretty much all I <laughs> could say as an intro. Yeah, for the two or three people that might not already know you that listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, so um, our topic today is kind of be going to be a general topic. Uh, since we have Brent on here, he knows quite a bit of information. So we're going to kind of just pick his brain here. So we're kind of going to just be calling this a general discussion. So, um, yeah, so I guess starting off, can you kind of give us a quick uh, rundown of how you got involved with React Native? Sure. So I guess going back to sort of my history in, in software, uh, my background is primarily in web development. Uh, I spent most of my career working at agencies with Ruby uh, on the back end and writing you know, web UIs using standard tools uh, of the day, whether that was at, at some point I was using Backbone, uh, you know, jQuery, Angular, and React. But a couple of years ago, I kind of just made the decision. I wanted to uh, narrow my focus towards front end and specifically mobile development. So I never really found the idea of doing full native development and learning this fully different platform. So for example, UI kit on, on iOS, right? Learning all those APIs, uh, learning how to use that really well, and then having to go and uh, learn you know, the same amount of information in order to be able to write an app on, on Android. And so I, I didn't really delve into that a bit, but I never really built anything significant on either platform. I was always exploring uh, what other options were available. Um, and so when React Native was announced, I was in the process of doing a couple of contracts. And I mean, I immediately just wanted to drop using uh, all of the tools that I was using and start writing everything with React and React Native. Uh, for the web, I was already uh, writing a lot of my my projects using React, um, some of them still on Angular. So at the time, I was doing this prototype uh, using Ionic, uh, which, you know, it's it's like a, it's a fairly decent tool, but I really ran into a lot of walls in uh, in the implementation around gestures or really doing anything uh, beyond displaying kind of static information. So yeah, when it was announced, I just kind of just paid very close attention to what was happening there. And the the day that it finally was released, I recall was March 26th. So I actually have a 156 day public commit streak from March 22nd to August 24th. And pretty much when it was released, I just dove right in and spent the vast majority of my time doing uh, all sorts of projects related to React Native, um, converting a client project to React Native, building any libraries that I needed in order to move forward with that project. And and really, as well, on top of that, just trying as hard as I could to learn how it works um, and at the same time, really alleviate uh, the amount of work that the core team had to do uh, in supporting open source uh, so that they were able to better concentrate at the time on on pushing the framework forward. So that's, I guess, a long answer, but. <laughs> yeah. So as far as like the whole idea of like uh, not wanting to have to specialize in both Android and iOS, but kind of be able to, to do cross-platform, I definitely 
Um, I think a lot of people are coming from that same, you know, ideology. Just that's one of the many things that kind of mm-hmm. make it um, one of the go-to, or at least right now, like the one of the main go-to frameworks for building these uh, type of apps. But um, what about your involvement with the community? I guess how did that get going um, to the where it is now? Um, it just sort of snowballed uh, from the start. I I've always found it to be a good way to learn to just trying to answer other people's questions. So, given that I wanted to learn as much as I could about React Native uh, when it was released, I was very active in the IRC channel. So this was before even React Flux came up, and so I was just there answering questions. And uh, if anyone asked something that I didn't understand, I would try and go and understand it, and to the best of my ability. Know, answer these questions and and of course there were things that I just wanted to do that were unrelated to um, anything else anyone else was asking and uh, so I would often go ahead and just ask questions myself and then I would take that and uh, turn it into a blog post or some open source library and, and share it and so yeah it just it just sort of snowballed and at one point I I noticed I was spending a lot of time on the issues as well uh, answering people's questions there um, and. I just thought, you know, I could probably be more effective in helping if I, if I was able to close these issues because it's taking a while. I have to ping someone; they have to uh, be distracted from what they're doing and, and look at this. So I just asked Christopher, like, "Hey, do you want me to lend a hand on on closing issues?" And uh, he was open to the idea. So yeah, that was how that worked. And and similarly with the newsletter that I run, I. Um, pretty much just asked in the IRC channel if anyone would be interested in seeing a newsletter uh, every week or two. And overall, I think the the interest level seemed like pretty decent. I think like three or four people said yes, which, you know, is a pretty small number. But I thought, all right, that's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm collecting all this information anyways. I'm going through all the issues and pull requests and having a look at all the new libraries that come out. So uh, it seems like I might be a good person to just throw that into uh, a list somewhere and, and send that out each week. So that's sort of how that started as well. Yeah, I think your newsletter is like the highlight of a lot of our week. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I know that you've I, yeah, I've, I've said this to you on Twitter before, but uh, that is hands down my favorite <laughs> newsletter out of all, all the ones that yeah, I'm subscribed to. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. Yeah, it does. I mean, it takes a decent amount of work each week. Um, but it, a really nice thing about it is that it it really forces me to stay up to date. So some weeks I'll be sort of heads down in uh, and previously it was client work and now uh, work with exponent. And so I won't get a, a lot of time to uh, look through the issues and and pull requests and whatnot and what what's going on in the community. So uh, every every weekend, pretty much, I just go and try and catch up on everything in order to be able to tell everyone else what's going on and um, kind of just make sure that I'm uh, up to date with everything that's happening in the community. So it's it's really good for for me as well as uh, as it seems like it's good for the community. So yeah, well, good. the knock on effect is that it keeps us up to date because um, then we need to read the <laughs> <Yeah>. newsletter. <laughs> yeah. Do you get a lot of people contributing to that newsletter too? Do people submit articles or do you kind of just take care of that on your own? You know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that more people don't submit articles. I'll get maybe one or two submitted each week. Um, and if I actively solicit it, so if I go into Reactive Flux or, um, or other channels, uh, then I'll typically get a few links. But yeah, overall, um, usually, usually not a lot of submissions. I just end up finding them myself. Cool. That definitely takes a lot of work then because you have a lot of great content in there. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a lot of fun to put together. So until I until I no longer have four or five spare hours every weekend, uh, it will continue to be fun. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, a, I mean, React Native is obviously a big part of your community um, involvement and you know the newsletter as well. But mm-hmm. there's Exponent as well. Maybe tell us a bit about your involvement in that and how that fits into your big picture. So, uh, yeah, so I, I first heard about Exponent when, um, from, well, James E. Day, when, um, it was first released, he, he sort of direct messaged me on, on reactive flux and, uh, asked me to have a look at it and asked what I thought. And I, I really liked the idea at the time I was doing some work on, uh, react native playground and it seemed like they were similar at the time, but you could tell that there was a very different vision in terms of what they wanted to to do in the long run. And, you know, React Native Playground to me was always this great place to easily uh, set up a shareable um, sort of snippet of code that someone could go in and look at and uh, determine, you know, whether there's a bug with some certain version, which was why it was important to have that version switcher. Um, and share that very easily in the issues because I've noticed early on that we would get issue reports and, you know, in order to be able to actually determine if these were problems, uh, we'd have to go in and recreate uh, the issue ourselves. Or even if it was a good um, issue description, we'd have to clone a repository and install the dependencies and then open up Xcode and compile a project, start the packager and all that. And so it was like, you know, a five or 10 minute process involved in, and just testing out a bug. Uh, so that's that's sort of what React Native Playground came from, um, or at least my motivation behind it. I think Josh has has some has a bit of a different vision for it, but I think he's carrying it forward with that right now. Uh, as for Exponent, uh, it's more of a, a platform for kind of we've started to call them instant apps. So uh, in the same way that you know within uh, the Facebook app, you get instant articles where you just click through and it's sort of a native type experience, but uh, at the same time, um, it's sort of the same content you'd expect to see on the web. Um, and what you would typically click through and see on one of these links through Facebook is is a web sort of experience. And so I, I think it's very, very similar to that sort of idea, except taking it from articles to more sort of interactive and sort of fully functioning uh, type of type of experiences. Yeah. So that's sort of where, where that fits in, I think, in in the ecosystem. Um, you know, it, of course it uses React Native, it's heavily dependent on React Native, but it's, it just builds on top of it to to create this this platform that is pretty exciting, I think. Instant apps is a great term, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and actually uh, coming up later this week, we will, so at the time of recording, just for, for context for the listeners, it is Monday, December 7th. Um, and so later this week, we will be releasing Exponent for Android. Uh, so we're really excited about that. It has, I think, a, a lot more power than the iOS version because the iOS version is, is naturally locked down more by by the OS. So we uh, are able to do things like create new document panes so you can um, see the instant app that you open by pressing the multitasking button and it will show up as its own uh, separate tab in multitasking. Um, you can add the icon to the home screen um, and so it just appears as if it was any other thing that you could have got, say, through the Play Store. 
So how has it been getting uh, Android ready for production, I guess, uh, as opposed to like, I know iOS has been ready to go or been in production with Exponent mm-hmm. for a while. How, what was the process like there? Well, I think the reason why it has taken us a while to get Exponent for Android ready is because we also just have a different a different sort of vision for it at the moment. Like as I was saying, we were able to take advantage of different platform APIs that that just don't exist on iOS. And so uh, we want to make sure that we do that right and that we really, I guess, nail nail the experience out of the gate. I mean, it's not going to be uh, the, the end all that we uh, come up with, but ultimately we want to have something that's representative of uh, what we think is possible with Exponent. And so uh, it's taken a bit longer because we just have to really... I guess, think more of what's the ultimate sort of uh, realization of this idea. And uh, the exponent for iOS is is uh, a much more simplified version of that at the moment. So um, I, th- I don't think Android itself has necessarily gotten in the way too much of that. Um, there are a few issues related to uh, supporting different versions of Android, but overall it is more immature, the, the Android project at the moment for React Native. But it's coming along very quickly, and I I don't think it's been a huge issue for us. It's mostly just us working on the product. Yeah, yeah. I just wondered uh, how the you know how how tough it was getting that going. I know Android's so new. Like, were you guys working with Facebook? I'm sure you guys were. Like, but I'm just curious that to what extent did you guys have like information about like the Android build and like were you guys uh, able to kind of get it going fairly easily or was there like any big roadblocks and things like that? And also like how much, I guess, Android platform experience, Java, things like that. Do the team members that um, exponent have to be able to put something like this together? Okay. So there are a couple of questions there. I'll start from the last one in-house. We actually didn't have a lot of experience going in specifically related to Android. Uh, however, we did have a contractor at the time who has since become a full-time employee who um, had a significant amount of experience with with Android, and he's actually um, him and James are primarily building the Exponent Android app. Um, so now going back to the first part of that, uh, we did have access to React Native Android uh, about a month or two beforehand, I think. So we did get to communicate a bit there about what we thought was important. But I think overall, the the stance that we took was we were just advocating for what we thought was good for the community with with React Native Android. And I think overall, there wasn't necessarily any advantage or anything like that that we had by communicating with some employees at Facebook before. Uh, I, I think that probably the biggest issues that we've run into so far were some very similar to like what the guys at App Hub and Code Push have have run into. Um, so that was when React Native Android was first released. It didn't support loading uh, bundles from certain sources like uh, within your app assets. So you couldn't just download a bundle um, and then save it and load in the future from from there, which is what you know is being done with these live update sort of uh, frameworks. So that was that was definitely an obstacle for us and. Thankfully, that was resolved, and actually, we didn't even really have to do that much about that. There were a few meetings related to the needs for stakeholders in that in that area, and uh, ultimately, I think it worked out pretty well. Aside from that, I think we we just had the problems that everyone is having. Uh, you know, the platform parity isn't there yet, so 
there are a lot of components that, uh, well, an increasingly few com uh, components that are missing and, and APIs that are supported. So that's definitely something that we, we ran into a few times, especially because we're uh, building an app that is, you know, out, out in, in production at the moment on iOS, uh, not through Exponent, but we're rebuilding it using React Native and uh, publishing it through Exponent. So uh, it it has a lot of things that just weren't sort of built in right away. And so it kind of held us up a bit in, in building certain areas of the app. But as for building Exponent itself, uh, I think there were there were mostly very low level sort of technical issues that we ran into. And I think things that most uh, developers wouldn't run into when using React Native. And has it cleared up since in terms of, uh, I mean, you mentioned that there's increasingly less missing components for Android. For anyone who's sort of assessing the state of React Native today, if they need to build a cross-platform app, how's it going? I think it's going really well. So this app that I mentioned we're building, fortunately, I can't say the name of it at the moment, but we've actually managed to get very good performance out of it at this point um, for uh, certain sections of the app, it even performs better on a Nexus 5 than it does on an iPhone 6S. Um, so we're pretty satisfied with that. And um, overall, I, I think the app is pretty representative of maybe 80% of the apps out there. And I think React Native Android is capable of of delivering a really solid experience on that. So um, we're pretty optimistic about it at the moment. Uh, that said, there are definitely rough edges with Android and, I mean, even with iOS at the moment. So uh, I think if people aren't aren't willing to push through that, maybe it's best to hold off for for a bit longer. That's um, really good news about the performance. Out of curiosity, what what kind of area was that in? Is that sort of in animation, in number crunching? Um, so this area specifically was. Well, there are a couple. One of them was transitioning from sort of a feed view into uh, the view for a specific story. So what you see is like a preview of, of the story, and then you click through on it, and it shows a loading indicator. And then once it has fetched the full story data over the network, it will uh, render that actual story view and then fade out the uh, loading overlay. And so we were able to get it to uh, actually be faster going from the uh, from the feed screen to the story screen, uh, as well as inside of the story screen, there is um, an image gallery. So some of these stories can have images. And when you tap on an image, it will zoom in and um, open up an image gallery anywhere between 1 and 100 items. And we were able to get that to uh, generally, in most cases, actually work faster than the fully native UI kit version on iOS on a 6S. So that was really nice. Wow. So that, that did involve animations as well. Yeah. Well, that's a really good tick for me for how React Native Android is coming along. That's great to hear. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, it wasn't necessarily easy to get to that point. We had to do a good amount of performance work, but we're trying where possible to push this back um, into into React Native itself. Um, one thing I was experimenting with recently was I implemented request idle callback on Android, which is, I think, very useful because it allows you to have some sort of runtime insight into the performance of the app. So you're able to schedule work when there's some downtime. And uh, that can be pretty useful because you don't, for example, with list views, the, the render row function on each frame after the initial page size, it will just 
render a row regardless of what is happening at the, in the system at the time. So if you're able to throttle the render row so that it only executes if you have, let's say, more than 10 milliseconds left on the frame, then that's a good way to ensure that your app is more responsive. And yeah, so that's kind of an, an avenue that we're going down right now. And uh, yeah, just kind of taking into account the uh, multi-threaded nature of React Native. So um, if you know someone is going to be scrolling through a scroll view, uh, you can probably do some work on the JavaScript thread at the same time because it's not going to interfere with uh, any of those interactions unless you uh, do something that will um, actually impact the native frame rate. Great. That's, that's very insightful. So I guess carrying that thread forward then, in terms of where React Native is headed, maybe if you can tell us a bit about what you what you found good, what you have had trouble with, and the direction that it's going and sort of address this, like what are the, the current to- topics in terms of core development? Sure. Uh, so reaching feature parity on Android, I think is really important. Um, that's being prioritized right now in terms of uh, the open source work being done. Um, there is also a lot of work being done internally at Facebook for just improving the speed um, and memory usage and you know all the, the various metrics that are very important when you're integrating React Native into a large app like the Facebook main app that carries with this integration you know potential uh, business value. So if it doesn't perform very well, maybe the engagement numbers will go down, whereas if it performs better, you might get better engagement. So it's really important to at least have the same standard of performance. And that's really exciting, the, the kind of stuff that's being done there right now. You see probably a new commit every day going into React Native that's related to some sort of optimization, whether it's lazy loading of modules or allowing partial uh, batch applications. There's really yeah a lot of interesting stuff happening there. Uh, another one that I think is really important, sort of, I don't know when it's going to happen, but, and it's been mentioned before, even on this podcast, is performing animations without having to hit the JavaScript thread on every frame. I think that's a, an important feature that we need to, we need to see soon. Maybe not, you know, within the next few months, but it would be nice to have sometime in the next year or so. Um, I know that uh, we've recently taken a few steps ourselves and we're, having a crack at, at the problem, at least on a smaller scale. So we might at Exponent have something in the next few weeks that we can push out related to that, but it doesn't solve the entire problem. Uh, yeah, that's, I think, very important for sure. Um, and then another area is sort of related to what I've been investigating, or rather what I was investigating last week with request.callback. Um, I think it will be really neat to have uh, different features like this brought into the framework. So you know, you just have more, just more tools to allow you to control your app's performance. And um, there's a lot of stuff being built right now as well for uh, improving the ability to profile and understand the performance characteristics of your app. And I think what goes along with that is having tools like request that'll callback that allow you to then change the behavior in order to respond to what you're seeing in the, in the profile. I guess one last thing worth mentioning uh, that I think is really neat is the React Native desktop repo that's a fork of React Native itself, um, a guy named Dima, who on GitHub is PTMT. Uh, he's doing some really interesting stuff there. He's steadily pushing along and implementing more of React Native for OS X. And uh, I actually had a look at the repo today, and the UI Explorer example is, is really impressive. And uh, I think that'll be cool to see where that ends up. 
Yeah, those are, I guess, the main things. Wow, that's exciting for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like one of those, uh, surely it was going to happen. But then <laughs> when it's actually happening, it's it's really cool. And then on the other side, we've got it pushing in the other direction as well with React Native Web, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I think is, I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what your thoughts on this, and I'd be interested to hear them, but someone popped up on Reactive Flux yesterday in the Touchstone channel um, sort of asking about whether there was any plans with us uh, for Touchstone to, you know, bridge that to React Native and how that could work where you've got um, an app that you could run in Cordova, say, for if you were targeting a Windows phone, but then, you know, being able to reuse code across to React Native for iOS and Android. Um, And I sort of thought maybe you could get React Native web happening as a, a layer in between that where you could almost end up running React Native apps on the desktop and mobile mm-hmm. and the web. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I'm not doing much work in that area myself, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't really say much about it, but uh, that definitely sounds like a, an interesting solution. Um, I, I guess ideally, I would like to see Microsoft just jump in and implement React Native for Windows Phone, but uh, who knows if that's going to happen? So, I mean, they're probably working <laughs> on it. <laughs> They've been doing some amazing open source lately. So yeah, yeah. Um, including code push actually that yeah. uh i only I only realized that that was a thing this last week and looked at it i was like this i have been waiting for this that looks great it's been it's been great you know and that and i actually had a chat with some of those guys uh last week and they're just pulling us developers what do you want to see um it's really cool stuff going on really i've gotten mm-hmm. to where i use visual studio, uh, studio code on a regular basis now that's pretty cool. I just switched to Outlook for iOS today. That was a big move for me. <laughs> the people I know that love it. Yeah, it's really nice. Did you move over for like work or did you kind of move it over for yourself or how did like what happened there? Well, so Mailbox was sunsetted today. Mailbox and Carousel from Dropbox. The only feature that I'm missing from Outlook is I really wish they had swipe more to Uh, schedule or delete because the nice thing about mailbox was i could swipe an archive or i could keep swiping to delete and with outlook it's one or the other you could only swipe or archive and then you have to click into the email to like have it schedule for a later date yeah i did read about that today actually google inbox works pretty well so that's uh that's my choice there i i use mail it's (laughs) terrible it's it's the worst but (laughs) You're so generic, Jed. I know. <laughs> uh, but so, Brent. So, in terms of what you work or what you do at Exponent, do you, are you guys at parity for Android and iOS, or is it more iOS driven right now? And how do you decide, like, what is going to have precedence? Well, right now we're focusing most of our efforts on Android. I think that. Going forward, at least in the short term, we have a more compelling offering on Android. And as well, uh, with the app that we're building, I think we have a lot of potential to attract a lot of users to it. And so that's that's sort of our primary focus at the moment. Um, it's hard to say how that will change in the future. I mean, iOS is definitely an important platform and um, the whole cross-platform nature of Exponent is, of course, really important as well. It's just unfortunate that we don't have the same level of API access that that we get on Android because I think 
the app could be much better if if we did. Yeah, that kind of just makes me think now with what is happening because iOS is so limited compared to Android. I wonder mm-hmm. if we'll have some like much cooler React Native apps in the future built on Android that we can't get on iOS. Yeah, it's possible. Exponent could be one of them. <laughs> I mean, you can get it on iOS, but but definitely it's still a good experience. It's just not the same quality where you, you know, when you open up and experience an exponent on Android when it opens up in a separate task in the multitasker and you can add the icon to your home screen, that's just totally different from having to go into exponent and you know, click on the thing manually from there, or uh, potentially another workaround we could do is save it as a, a shortcut through a web URL, but that opens up a browser beforehand. And so it's just not that clean on iOS compared to what you can do on Android. Can you add native modules on the fly for Android? Like, do you have a little more wiggle room there compared to iOS? You know, I'm not entirely sure about that. I haven't really looked into that much. And that's something that we haven't totally got into yet at Exponent. We, we, you know, we're focusing on building out this base app and then we're definitely uh, in the near future going to be picking out sort of the, what we think are the highest quality native modules. And if there aren't any that, that are out there that we think are up to the standard that we need for Exponent, uh, we'll just have to probably write them ourselves. And so I think f- for our case, at least we're not I mean, it would be cool if you were able to dynamically add something like that. I, I don't think that would be possible, though. And what we're trying to do more is is kind of curate the uh, the list of modules available. And you know, we want to have we want to give people as much access to these native APIs as possible. Um, so there should be sort of in the long term uh, everything that you would need in in most cases to uh, build a good experience. You've kind of just answered this, but um, maybe like future plans for Exponent. What's what's your big picture? Where do you want to see it go? <laughs> I mean, I could talk about several years in the future. I mean, it would be, I think it would be amazing if Exponent was just on everybody's phone and it, it shipped with it, right? <laughs> that would be awesome. But of course, that's 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 dreaming to an extent. So um, yeah, I would just like to have. You know, a bunch of people making really useful, interesting experiences and distributing them through Exponent and hopefully have yeah, just an, a nice way to access a lot of these things that we typically right now consume through the web, through some sort of lighter weight platform like Exponent where um, where you don't have to download a separate app for everything and you don't have to you know, go through that whole, that whole process and keep it updated and whatnot. And, and th- I mean, there are a lot of other possibilities there as well. And this, this could potentially tail off into a pretty long discussion. Um, so I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that you can do when you take what I think are the best of, of native mobile and the best of web and push them together. So, um, yeah, there's what I said, and I guess the rest, you can kind of probably imagine it if you think about it. <laughs> Are you are you worried about running afoul of the App Store policies? Sure. I mean, yeah. like there's sort of there's this loophole that we all live very happily mm-hmm. in at the moment, where if you're updating or live pushing JavaScript code and HTML mm-hmm. and you're not changing the native code that's running, then you don't have to go through the App Store review process. But one of the like one of the limitations on that is that you can't fundamentally change the nature of the app. Um, sure. I think the example given on the code push repo is you shouldn't ship a news app and then turn it into a first person shooter. 
Um, <laughs> and there's certainly like, you know, if I wanted to push an app out that didn't abide by the app store guidelines, then I could probably ship it on exponent. And like, uh, has that sort of come up much? Is that something you're worried about? Or do you have any ideas on how to deal with that? Or It's definitely something we're aware of. It, it's a, it's a tricky one, right? Like there's, there's not too much we can do about it. Um, we have this vision for how we want things to be. And there might be these policies in place that could prevent us from, from getting there. But I mean, all we can really try and do, I think is, is try to avoid when possible doing anything that is, I mean, not even when possible, like ideally just adhere to all of the requirements for, for the app store. I mean, the wording is, is pretty vague on there. If you think of it as, for example, like Chrome downloads things that fundamentally change the nature of, of Chrome or as an app, right? You can go to a new site and you can go to a first person shooter within Chrome. So as the web also becomes uh, more powerful, um, I think, I don't know if that will be necessarily a huge concern, but it, that, that remains to be seen. Um, I think maybe where that could potentially become a problem is when money starts to get involved. And at the moment, there really isn't any of that in Exponent. And I don't know if, if that'll be an issue until then, but that is yet to be seen. Yeah. Is that something on your roadmap? You know, I, I don't actually concern myself too much with the the sort of business side of, of the product roadmap. Um, so that's something that uh, Charlie would be able to tell you a lot more about. Uh, but I, I'm not exactly sure what his plan is around that. Yeah, I definitely see the uh, the whole distinction of the, the web 5.0 or next gen web kind of mentality when it because it is a, you know a JavaScript mm-hmm. bundle so that actually mm-hmm. does apply and you know uh, Apple doesn't pull Chrome or cancel Safari because of the mm-hmm. websites you go to and there are tons of bad ones out there. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, but but I'm, uh, so you know from that perspective and. That it does follow the rules, which are you know something web based only, which is the bundle file. Um, I think it's a really cool way to do a, something better than web um, technology. But I was curious. I mean, that's kind of where you guys are headed. But you know, I was mm-hmm. a big fan of and user of test flight from the beginning, and I see a whole another segment of use for some for this and that and just that arena alone. I, you know, I used to work for a ginormous consulting firm distributing builds especially mobile builds to your project managers and all the people involved yeah. it was just a pain, pain. test flight oh, made yeah. it better but it didn't fix it but something like exponent it makes it almost just one click i mean it's super simple yeah i mean yeah that's exactly it, it is it is one click <laughs> it's not even almost it's, it's exactly the number of clicks yeah i i totally agree that's definitely another area where it's uh where it's very useful i think there's a a broad set of applications for something like this um, so uh an example of of where that could be useful is like what you're saying in consultancies when you want to share the uh code that you're working on very quickly with other people whether that's a, a stakeholder or you know other developers who are working on the same project, uh, so I, I think there are a lot of other benefits there as well. It's just when you, when you're able to get to the point with with your software where you can, I, I guess, share it immediately with with anybody. I think that's really powerful, and that that is one of the things you know that I mentioned before about combining the power of fully native with with web. And this is an area where. 
web, it's just, just always been like that, right? You take index.html and drag it over to your FTP server. And, and next thing you know, someone from wherever other side of the world can, can access it. And, and that's something that we think is really important. And um, that is definitely sort of a, a fundamental aspect of Exponent. Um, and we use that on on a daily basis for actually doing development as well. Uh, you know, I'll be working on on an app within Exponent or Exponent itself, and I can just point people to what I'm working on, and they can hop on and have a look and give me feedback right away. I can adjust it, and then they uh, respond accordingly. Uh, it's really nice. Yeah, it's definitely a much better experience. Um, and I mean, like I said, I didn't do a lot of uh, native mobile work before. So this is just something that I, I've always sort of taken for granted. And so when I, you know, when I, when I ran up against uh, not being able to do this, even when I first started with React Native of, you know, shipping things through TestFlight, that was definitely, it was definitely a frustrating experience. So, um, you know, you, you can get held up on TestFlight for several hours, just trying to share a new build with your team and I think Exponent is is a great solution for something like that, where you can just get it in front of the, your team or the stakeholders, yeah, in one click. Yeah, I can definitely see the just the sharing of apps and web, new web, because it's a it's a more involved native style of coding, so the experiences are richer just because by nature of how it works. Uh, how awesome would it be for people just to share those? openly like they do web now. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. So to go back to sort of React more generally, um, mm. Brent, I, I can't believe I didn't fanboy out on you the minute you got on this call, actually, because <laughs> React Conf is coming up. Sure. It's been announced for February, and you're involved in organizing it. Yeah, yeah, I was really lucky. Um, so I, I messaged Christopher on, on Facebook Messenger uh, a while ago, and... Um, Asked him if he thought it might be worth me doing a talk about React Native at um, at React Europe, and his response was, "Oh, I have a better idea. Why don't you help me organize React Conf?" And I was like, "Well, well that sounds like a good idea." <laughs> so yeah, I, I've pretty much have just been helping out with you know a lot of administrative stuff. Like I'm sure if anyone has put on a conference before, you you would have an understanding of it. But really, if you've just organized an event or anything like that, it's you know, I, I'm I'm very glad that I don't have to do anything related to the financial aspect or getting the venue organized. There are some really smart people at Facebook who are uh, taking care of all that. Uh, so uh, Christopher and I just organized the call for presenters. We you know put the website together, uh, try and plan the event to make it as as enjoyable as possible, and reach out to people that we think are really interesting and, and ask them to give a talk. And so if I haven't reached out to you yet, that doesn't mean that you're not interesting. It's just that maybe I haven't got around to it yet. Uh, <laughs> but please reach out to me and submit a, a proposal because that would be fantastic. You know, we're, we're pretty open to topics to be, um, to be covered in the conference. I think what we're really interested in, in seeing are our talks that are, I think, first of all, they have to be entertaining, right? If someone goes up and, and talks for half an hour and they're not entertaining, it's going to be really difficult for anybody to pay attention. So 
it doesn't mean you have to be like a professional entertainer, obviously, but you know, try and plan your talk in a way that at least it's not boring. And, and of course, the information has to be something that is relevant to front-end developers. So it doesn't mean it has to be a talk about React specifically, but something that the audience, so an audience of React developers would would be able to take and put into their work or maybe allow them to see things in a different way that, yeah, would give them some sort of insight and and hopefully make them a better developer for having heard it. And ultimately, what, what we want is for people to go and enjoy every talk that they see. Of course, that's maybe a, a very high aim, but it's something that, that we're trying to, to achieve. Um, and so part of the strategy this year for that was we are having two slots reserved for lightning talks. I think those are a really fun way to uh, allow a greater degree of participation from the community because uh, we only have so many uh, regular speaker slots. So uh, we're able to fit in a lot more in those in those two lightning talk slots. And as well, sort of break up the flow of, you know, half hour talk, half hour talk, break, half hour talk, half hour talk, lunch, et cetera. If instead we we get these lightning talks in there, I think that's a nice way to, yeah, to break that up and sort of keep it interesting. So yeah, it's a, it's a great experience so far. I've really been enjoying it. And uh, I, I really strongly encourage everyone to uh, submit a proposal. You know, it's going to be, I think it won't be easy to get a ticket. I think there's a, a good amount of demand for it. There are a lot of tickets. But uh, I think there's also a lot of demand. So I would, I would highly encourage you to submit at least a lightning talk proposal because I, th I think everyone has something that they can save or talk about for five minutes uh, that would be very interesting. So uh, I don't think that, that, it's, <laughs> that it's possible as a, as a developer to not have that much in you. So uh, think about it. <laughs> Um, how is this year's React Comp going to be different from last year? Well, it won't be in the Facebook headquarters this year, so it'll be larger. There, are, I believe, last year was four hundred tickets. No, sorry, three hundred tickets, and this year is four hundred, so uh, hundred more people. Um, you know, it's it's going to be in downtown San Francisco. We haven't publicly announced the venue yet, but that should be sometime in the next couple of days. Yeah, I think that's primarily you know the, those are the differences. Um, one thing I'm really excited about as well is the diversity scholarship program, which uh, last year there were 10 people involved in that. And this year, uh, I believe it's 40. So uh, these are people who are underrepresented in the industry who get a chance to participate in this conference and um, have their their ticket paid for and their accommodations paid for. And this is all uh, covered by, by Facebook. So it's a really nice gesture, I think. And um, I think that will make the, the conference that much more interesting to have the diverse set of perspectives um, uh, represented. That's fantastic. Cool. I saw that there was a diversity scholarship, but I didn't realize there were 40 tickets involved in that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really big effort. Uh, like that's, it's amazing. Um, so, so do you get that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Of course that happened. Jinx. Go ahead. My my question wasn't as good as yours. <laughs> no, my question was going to be a silly one to break the silence. It was going to be, so do you get a free ticket if you speak at a lightning talk? Oh yeah, you do. Yeah. So Oh nice. Uh, that's that's actually exciting. Mm -hmm. I actually think um 
I, I have this suspicion that there are going to be so many hundreds of thousands of developers going for the tickets that you probably have a better chance, like in in ratio terms, if you submit a lightning talk, because there'll be probably hundreds of those for five tickets and, uh, you know, a <laughs> hundred thousand people going for like the remaining 300 or so, you know, general release tickets. Yeah. So, so there, there are 10 lightning talk tickets available. Um, and so if you actually go to the form, you'll see as well that uh, if your talk is selected, then you also have the right to um, purchase a ticket for a friend. So uh, so you don't have to go alone if none of your coworkers or friends are unable to uh, get a ticket through the uh, standard purchase process. So um, really, it, it sort of entitles you to two tickets, which is, which is quite nice. Um, I'm a huge fan as well of the way you've organized releasing the tickets across all the time zones. Um, that was really like from, for someone in Sydney last year, it was really tricky to try and actually get a ticket just because, you know, they sort of went online in San Francisco time and you guys have fixed <laughs> that this year, which is great. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that, that's definitely important. I mean, um, we know that people use React all across the world, uh, whether it's Vancouver or uh, are you from Sydney? Jet yeah, or, yeah, uh, Sydney. Or Sydney. So there you go, opposite sides of the world. Um, so you know, just distributing it so that everyone gets an opportunity, I think, is pretty important. So getting back to uh, React Native, I have a question. I see you guys have pretty much bet really heavily on React Native with um, Exponent. I'm curious what your views are in the grand scope of things, um, like where you see React Native in general heading, as far as I guess number of people using it and like, you know, the growth around React Native? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. So if you have a look at some of the, the metrics you could look at to think about sort of how the growth has been doing recently is maybe how many apps are we getting submitted to the showcase? Um, what, how many plugins do we have submitted to React parts? We have, <laughs> we could look at the issue count. I don't know if that's a, a nice metric to see, but but, you know, there's certainly a lot of activity there. So uh, <laughs> I think going forward, I, I'm very optimistic about it. You know, it's possible that that it won't work out. It's it's entirely possible. Anytime you have a, a technology that that is as ambitious as React Native is, um, there there's a significant risk of of something occurring. And so, you know, that said, I I think that this general approach is is very good. And so. Whether it's React Native that succeeds or uh, some other uh, similar tool, um, I think it's it's the way forward. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic, and and at the moment I think React Native is is the best out of the uh, this type of of tool. So um, yeah, and the great thing about it is being open source with the big community. You know, it can live on no matter what, right? It's totally up to sure. us. And so I mean, maybe you can also touch on on that a little bit and how sure. how to get involved and what's the best way to start and because this you know sure. it really is it's not just well, a Facebook thing you know they've turned it over to us the developers and it's up to mm-hmm. us to, to make it better and us to help. Sure. So I mean I agree with you. Uh, however, I, I I think Facebook plays an extremely important role here where if Facebook were to stop using React Native, I think at the current state, probably React Native would die. 
you know, there, there's just the vast majority of the work being put into it. Um, you know, there are a lot of people working at React Native at, uh, in Facebook right now um, and using it internally. And so I don't think it's something that maybe the community is able to organize around at this phase in the life of the project. I'm really glad that that we have a company like Facebook pushing it forward, for sure. Uh, as for getting started with contributing, so there are a couple of tips. So first, like a, I guess a higher level sort of tip is uh, you really have to have fun with it. If you see contributing as being this task that is on your to-do list that you need to do, uh, you're probably not going to do it because nobody's paying you to do it. And, um, you know, you can always find something else to do with your time. So you have to go into it. And, and what I like to do is, is just find a problem that actually interests me, whether that's something that I've run into in my own work or, uh, something that somebody else has stumbled across that that's interesting. Um, then I, I just sort of like to get a deep understanding of, of why that problem exists. So I'll read through the code, come up with sort of experiments to try and understand the, the behavior and try those experiments out, um, test my assumptions about how it works. Ask people if you have questions about how something works and explain how you got to the, the understanding that you have at the moment. And uh, yeah, so that that's sort of my approach to it. It might sound a little bit intimidating, but remember the first thing is just have fun with it, right? Um, there's There are a lot of things that people can do. So if you look at the, the issues for React Native, we try to tag issues with good first task when they're very well-defined and um, you know anyone can just jump on and sit down and spend a day or two and take it from start to finish. And it, it's, you know, maybe not all the implementation details are straightforward, but we, we tag it with good first task when we know that some specific thing needs to be done, maybe not necessarily how it needs to be done. So there's still room there for some creativity and exploration. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, for me, when React Native came out, I was just so excited to play with it and and find out how it worked. I mean, to me, it was fascinating that you're able to write this code in the same way that you do in the browser and have it actually create these native views and be able to manipulate them with with this extent of performance and and whatnot. So, like, I I just want to under I wanted to understand how it works. And still, I mean, I spent a lot of time last week digging into the lower level details of Android. Um, trying to understand exactly what's going on with the JNI interface and sort of be able to follow the flow from getting the app running to sending over the subsequent updates um, to sort of like end-to-end sort of understanding of that. And it's really rewarding, I think. So if you do that and you um, look into these problems and try and get an understanding, I think contribution sort of just comes naturally from that. Yeah, it's kind of... Long answer. So speaking of contributing to React Native, you're one of the few people outside Facebook that actually is a core contributor. What's that experience like for you? It's it's the best. It's amazing. So I'm not really interested in in moving from Vancouver right now. I really like it here. So, you know, working at Facebook is, is off the table. So contributing to React Native, it, it really gives me a chance to work with a lot of engineers that I really respect and that I otherwise wouldn't really have the opportunity to collaborate with. And so this includes people really even from outside of Facebook. Um, so like James Ede and Charlie Cheever, who I work with at Exponent now, I met them through uh, contributing to React Native. As you know, uh, probably you've probably seen James all around the React Native repo. He is by far the most prolific commenter on issues and pull requests. So 
I'm sure people have come across his name before. But yeah, I mean, to be totally honest as well, it's really nice that uh, it gives me some kind of credibility. I mean, if I wasn't a contributor on, on React Native, if that hadn't come to to happen however many months ago, I don't know how interested you guys would have been in talking to me right now. And I, <laughs> I don't know how many uh, conferences and meetups would be uh, as enthusiastic as, as they are to have me uh, speak there. So it's really nice to have these kind of opportunities. And uh, I mean, really, it's just, I enjoy working with React Native a lot. It's a, like, I haven't reached such a high level of satisfaction with my career at, at any other point. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Can't see me right now, but I'm giving you thumbs up. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to probably have to wrap it up here in the next maybe five or 10 minutes. If you guys want to think about okay. anything else we want to go over. I feel like every time it goes quiet, you can hear the brains ticking. <laughs> <laughs> when we get off the call, we're going to think of like 50 things to ask you. If no one else had anything, I did have a question for something you mentioned earlier okay. um, about migrating apps. You said you guys are doing that a lot. If you wanted to share some of your experiences with that, just kind of, I think you maybe mentioned Backbone, but just migrating apps of different technologies to React Native, because I think that's something that a lot of people could get into yeah. when they're starting out. Well, so we're... We're not exactly migrating apps from other JavaScript tools to React Native. What we're doing is we're taking an existing iOS app and basically just rebuilding it within React Native. And I mean, at the same time that we're doing this, they are continuing with development for for this app and you know, they release new updates every couple of weeks and we just do our best to maintain parity while also uh, uh, with the new features rather, while, while also uh, catching up with everything else that, that we need to implement. And so so I don't know if it's so much, um, yeah, is that sort of what you had in mind? or? Yeah, yeah I just didn't know. I knew you guys were, were migrating yeah. or I, I didn't yeah. realize it was a moving uh, target and that it was in the native app. <laughs> yeah, so it's really interesting though because they'll make these changes to the native app and we're able to, uh, within a day or two, just catch up to whatever changes they've made. Uh, it really doesn't take that long. I think we can thank React Native for that that velocity that we get. So uh, that's something that going forward um, we'll probably be supporting this for a while. And so uh, we're, we're really glad that we're able to have such a fast development speed in order to keep up with these changes. So for anyone who's thinking about getting into React Native instead of already using it, um, what have you got to say? Uh, I mean, obviously it's it's... You know, you mentioned before it's been a, the highlight of your career working on it. Mm -hmm. But for someone looking to adopt it, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the project that you want to use it for. I think it's it's in a it's in a very good state right now, and it's getting better by the day. And as long as you're willing to, you know, work through the occasional issue that you come across, you know, you're you're probably going to have a good time using it. If you don't agree with the React code aesthetic overall. Um, if you aren't into functional programming, you know you might not like it very much. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's definitely worth at least checking out. And so I have I recently did a, a talk at a meetup where um, I looked at similar tools and just tried to find the best apps that each of those tools had released. And I think that already in what is it, like nine months or or whatever it's been since since React Native was released. Already, it has better apps than any of the comparable tools that use JavaScript to 
to power the app. And so uh, I'm, you know, from that point of view, if that's something that you're you're wanting to do, I think that React Native is the only tool that's proven to be able to deliver the high quality of experience while still uh, being powered by JavaScript. There are some very promising alternatives coming up, like NativeScript. So I couldn't find any apps that were made with it yet that that compare to even sort of the average React Native app at the moment. I, I can see how the technology would certainly allow people to to build something uh, very good. And especially with the integration with Angular that's coming up, uh, that's that's definitely also promising. So yeah, I mean, just give it a try. And if you, if you like the feel of it and, you know, if you use React on the web, especially, I mean, there's, it's, I don't even have to sell it to you. It's pretty straightforward, uh, <laughs> but just give it a try. If you, if you like it, that's great. Um, if you run into some issues, let me know and I'll, I'll try and help you through them. It's just a lot of fun. So play with it. <laughs> That's really all I can say about that. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I think we'll go ahead and get to the picks. Jed, would you like to go first? Yeah. So I've got two this week. One came from the podcasting experience, and I'm going to give a shout out to Zencaster. It's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com, uh, which is what we're using to record this episode. And it's a great thing because Skype failed on us terribly several times <laughs> during the recording. So uh, yeah, Zencaster records everyone's voice independently and then gives everyone a local download for a backup and can put all the sort of independent channels into a Dropbox. And if you're podcasting and you haven't found it and you're just using Skype, then check that out because it will probably save you an episode or two. Uh, and the other, the other one that I wanted to give a pick to is a new library called Enzyme by Airbnb. And this is their take on JavaScript testing utilities for React. And it looks really cool. Uh, it's, it's very new, but it's already got a ton of stars. And it's basically, um, it, it mimics jQuery's API for DOM manipulation and traversal, which makes it very easy to think about how you're writing tests, which you know can be one of the more challenging things when you're approaching testing React components. So I think that looks great. And check it out. Awesome. Um, Peter, would you like to go? Yeah, absolutely. So an interesting library that I've just started using is called React Resolver. It's a declarative way to get data back. Um, basically, all you do is you uh, you list an endpoint, and then you list what you want that object to live under state, and it just takes care of everything else for you. It's pretty cool. We'll see how it works out. Okay, great. Uh, Lee, do you have any picks? Yeah, I think uh, my pick this week is a film called Racing Extinction, though aired on Discovery this week is a really great film about just our climate changes and animal extinction and what we can do to, to help. So check it out. Okay. Brent, do you have any picks? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my first pick would be React Native Radio. <laughs> I think that it's really awesome that you guys are doing this show. So, uh, yeah, hat tip to you. In addition to that, I think, um, <laughs> React Conf 2016. I mean, it's going to be a good time. So I would highly recommend again for people to submit proposals. It's going to be hard to get a ticket. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely try out a lightning talk. Um, yeah, I think that's I support it too. <laughs> yeah, definitely plus one on the React Conf. My pick is going to be East of Eden. It's a book that I've been reading by John Steinbeck. It's about 600 and something pages long. It's a lot longer than I'm normally like, but. It's been really, really good book so far. So if anyone needs something to 
to add to their list uh, east of Eden. All right. Well, um, Brent, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've been uh, wanting to have you on. So this has been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Brent. Yeah, definitely. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 11 of React Native Radio. We'll see everyone next week.